to um, remember those things. If you have your Bibles this morning, you turn to Revelation uh, chapter 1, and we're going to uh, spend the next several months going through the, the book of Revelation. And, uh, you know, for many, the book of Revelation is intriguing. It's somewhat unique among uh, biblical literature. Uh, and there, over the years, have been a whole lot of poor preaching and even worse theology come out of the book of Revelation. Um, and so I hope that we'll um, not do any of that. I hope we'll have good preaching and good theology come out uh, of Revelation. And uh, a big part of it is because of the type of um, writing that it is. It's uh, very figurative. And oftentimes we have trouble with figurative stuff. We, we want to take things literally. And you can get into some big trouble um, in some places. Now, it's best uh, to, when you read the Bible, take it literally unless it's clear you're not supposed to. Uh, and understand that when the Bible is using figurative language, that it's using figurative language. Uh, and that, but another big problem... In, why we misunderstand the book of Revelation is we are so horribly um, uneducated as when it comes to the Old Testament. There are over 500 quotes and allusions to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. 500 in the 20-some chapters uh, of Revelation. Uh, and so... Uh, that means that in order to understand the book of Revelation, you've got to know something of the Old Testament. And if you don't know the Old Testament and you don't understand it, you're certainly not going to understand the book of Revelation. Uh, and so all those factors have piled in, and then some people for uh, whatever gain to sell a book or make a movie interesting or whatever have made Revelation uh, say some things that it doesn't. Uh, indeed say or mean or intend uh, and so we want to stay away from that so uh, I'd hope to be able to preach a different illustration introduction this morning but uh, my beloved Titans uh, did not uh, come back so well uh, yeah I know it was horrible I was so aggravated and uh, but it it is what it is and some games you win some games you lose sometimes your team wins sometimes your team loses and we all know about that, and uh, uh, well, and uh, but the uh, it, it was quite a comeback of, of Cincinnati, and you know Cincinnati uh, for most of us that if you even remotely follow football, you've probably forgotten Cincinnati had a football team uh, because for many many years they've not been very good, uh, but this year uh, they have been pretty good, and. Uh, out to uh, uh, work uh, the Titans yesterday and won uh, the uh, divisional championship. So, but there is a, a comeback, a, uh, a comeback that is even more amazing and more important uh, in the grand scheme of things, and that's the comeback of Jesus Christ. And that really is what the book of Revelation is about, is a reminder to the church that Jesus is and will be victorious. 
and that we as his children and we as his church will be victorious. And so let's take a look at Revelation chapter 1 this morning. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel and to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you. And peace from him who is and was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful uh, witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and was and is to come the Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom, and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with the garment down to his feet and girded with the chest uh, a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and he who is dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and in the seven golden lampstands The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. It's uh, the introduction to the book of Revelation is uh, rather telling to us uh, and helps us to 
kind of set the stage for the rest of the book. Uh, And really what John is reminding us in this prologue is that Jesus is victorious, that he is the one who triumphs. Uh, Though uh, people uh, put him on a cross, he didn't stay dead. He conquered death. And though people have been fighting against him since that time and will continue until he comes again, people are continually trying to get rid of God. And we see that even in our own culture that uh, there is a a war today, not on religious things so much, but upon Christian Uh, religion, Christian faith, and Christian things, and Christian symbols, there certainly are a war on those things. And guess what? Uh, It it will be that way until Jesus comes again, but try as this world might, they cannot do away with Jesus Christ. They cannot defeat him. He, and so, uh, and he reminds us, it's John is, uh, and history, by the way, uh, verifies the fact that John, uh, the apostle, the beloved one, uh, r- was exiled to this island of Patmos uh, for his faith. He was an old man by this time, uh, and, um, you know, we'll say in his 90s, and so it was kind of sent to this island of of exile where there wasn't a lot of people for him to uh, preach to, although there were some, and though it was not a uh, luxurious island, it wasn't an island getaway like Hawaii or anything like that, uh, there was no resort, there were no amenities, there, you know, was uh, 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 strife and difficulty, and yet John said, you know what, I've not forgotten my God. And on that first day of the week, he did as was his custom, as should be every one of our customs. He uh, fellowshiped with God daily, uh, and he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. So on this Sunday morning, uh, he was thinking about and worshiping God, and he has this marvelous vision that begins to unfold. uh, And this, this revelation of Jesus Christ. And uh, the first thing that we want to find from this chapter is a reminder that Jesus is the overcomer. He reminds us that over and over again, he says four or five times here in these 20 verses, I am the first and the last. I am the Alpha and the Omega. And it's interesting, and I don't think uh, coincidence that uh, by the time Jesus came about, uh, Greek was kind of the, the world language, uh, and Alpha and Omega is the first and last letters of the uh, Greek alphabet. But remember Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 44, uh, talked about God being the first and the last. And so this is really a, a fulfillment. We see pictures of, of Isaiah throughout uh, Revelation as well as Daniel and Zephaniah and Zechariah and several other prophets, uh, we find uh, some fulfillment of what uh, they said uh, in John's recording of uh, Revelation. And so Jesus reminds, he says, I am the one that is overcome. Though he was uh, crucified, he rose again. 
And though he, he left earth, he's in heaven reigning and minister and controlling the things that go on in this world that Paul tells in Colossians that Jesus was present in creation and even today continues to hold everything in this world together. And that doesn't mean things are, are always the way Christ wants them to be. They're, they're certainly not. Uh, but boy, would this world be in a whole lot worse shape had G if Jesus was not uh, in the midst of it. And if uh, God's people were not in the midst of it. And God's favor and God's grace were not in the midst of it. Uh, so Jesus overcame death. He overcame, you know, uh, sin. He overcame temptation. He overcame fear. He overcame all of these different things. And so he hears this voice like a trumpet. And he turns and he sees this, this figure that is indeed, I think, uh, a, a figure of, of overcoming and victory, of holiness, and he's afraid. And he falls down as if he were dead, and Jesus picks him up, and he says, as he often did to the disciples, as the angels always said when they showed up, what, did, what was that message that they gave? Do not fear, do not be afraid. He said, I am the Alpha and Omega. And so he says, listen, remember that I am the overcomer. And why is that important for us? Because we're, we need to be reminded that that wonderful hymn, Victory in Jesus, that we like to sing, is not just something that will come one day when we get to heaven, but something we can have in this life here and now that God intends for us to have victory in life, and the reason that we can have victory in this life is because Jesus had victory. And our victories, every one of them, come through him. The only way we can win is when Jesus is on our side. And not just when Jesus is on our side, but when Jesus is our Lord, and we're living with him and for him and obedience to him. We see throughout the history of God's people times when, and we have experienced it in our own life, times when we're faithful to God and we know God's ever near us and man, things are just great. But we all have also experienced times when we've not listened to God and we've wandered away from him and we've disobeyed him. And we experience the, the turmoil of that and this internal struggle that results when we're in disobedience to God. And the reality is that the most miserable person on earth is a Christian that's out of fellowship with God. Not where they ought to be. And they may have lots of money. They may be chasing after the things of this world, things that they thought were important. But they're miserable. And the reason they're miserable is because... Yeah, they may have money and stuff, but they've left Jesus. And they've lost the one thing that really mattered. And the thing that was most important. And so Jesus writes to remind us that Jesus is the overcomer, that he overcame. That he knows what, what victory is. And we can know victory when we know Jesus. 
But the second thing that we see, not only is Jesus overcomer, but John reminds us from the very beginning that Jesus is also the overseer. In the midst of these seven candlesticks that we uh, know are the Lord, uh, the churches, in the midst of them stands the Lord, the Alpha, the Omega. He says, John, what you're seeing What's happening now and, and what's going to happen, write in a book and send them to the seven churches. And if you look at a map, you'll, you'll find that these churches are in uh, modern-day Turkey. Uh, and they form somewhat of an almost circle. Uh, and, and that's interesting that, uh, how they are, and we'll see that as we go through them in the next couple chapters. Um, but these seven churches are, are kind of illustrated and meant to be uh, representative of the whole church. So all of God's people, the, the, the Christian church as a whole. Not that there was something special uh, in and of themselves of these seven churches or their location, as we'll see again in a, over the next few weeks. There were some good and some bad about uh, this mix of churches. But these seven churches uh, represent the entirety of the Christian church, the big C capital church, the church universal, uh, that it's God's people. Uh, the stars represented uh, the angels of the church, those that were uh, messengers. And, and you know, it's open for debate and interpretation. The word angel can mean a heavenly being angel, but it also can mean messenger. There are a lot of commentators that think he's talking about the, representing the pastor of the church, the, 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 the message of the church. Um, e- either way, the, it, it's important that we realize that Jesus is in the center. And he's in the center for a reason. Because he's the overseer of the church He's the the groom of the church, but he's also the the instigator, the creator of the church. He's the one that died for the church. He shed his blood for his church. And so, as Paul reminds us that Christ's body is the church, Christ is the head of the church. And so, why is that important? Because Jesus says to John, John... My beloved disciple, I want you to write down what you see and what I tell you, and I want you to send it to the church. I want my people to get this message. And in some ways, it's a message of grace and a message of hope, but there's also within it, just like a lot of uh, Scripture, Just like we saw in the book of Isaiah, there is hope and there is grace, but there's also some warnings and some admonitions and some challenges. He's going to say to these seven churches, you know what, I see your work. I know who you are. And he's going to say to some of them, I'm pleased with you and you've done good. But there's some things that you need to work on and be better at. He's going to say to some of them, you're rascals. And you better shape up for you're going to ship out. Uh, Who can do that? 
Only the boss, only the one that oversees it. Unless we get big heads and think we're the ones that are in charge of the church, Jesus wants to remind us that the church is his. The big C church, and we don't have a problem most of the time understanding that truth, but the truth of the matter is Jesus Christ is also to be the Lord and the head of the little church, of the local church. That he's supposed to call the shots here too. Why? Because we belong to him. We are not our own. Remember, Paul reminds us of that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he said, Listen, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. And so, John reminds us at the very beginning something that we cannot forget as we work our way through uh, this wonderful uh, book of Revelation is this reminder that Jesus is the rightful and only head of the church. That he alone has the right to uh, tell us how we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to believe. Not public opinion or not what we want and not what's easy, but what Jesus wants and what Jesus directs because he is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And we find, you know, normally uh, in the uh, tabernacle, there were ten lampstands. And talking about the city, you know, there were these ten lampstands in the temple, and we find seven here. Well, that should call our attention to the book of Zechariah, because Zechariah talks about uh, the day coming when there's seven uh, candlesticks or lampstands with the, uh, that the Messiah will come with, and that will be a, a sign that the Messiah has come. And, and so John is tying all of that here into this reminder that Jesus is the one who's calling the shots. He's the one that gave his life, that shed his innocent blood for his church. And by the way, not just for the church, but for the whole world. John 3.16, John wrote, the same John that wrote this, wrote in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever we call upon him and not perish, but have everlasting life. So did Jesus die for his church? Absolutely he did. But he died for everyone. He died to pay the, the sin price for all that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. And we find the wonderful truth that Jesus did not just die for a couple. He did not just die for the righteous. He died for all. And he shed his sinless blood that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord could come and find that Jesus Christ is Son uh, of the Almighty. He's Lord of Lords and he's King of Kings. He's Alpha and Omega. And he desires for all of us to come to know that personally. And that's what makes a difference, not what denominational label you pin on yourself or on the building that you meet with, 
But do you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? And if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then you're part of His family. And guess what? If you're part of His family, you're to act like it. And you're to try to emulate Him. We all know how it is that we tend to uh, look up to and become like our parents or other adults that are, um, you know, that we look up to when we're young. We, we tend to, to be like them, whether we want to or not. Uh, you know, growing up, we think our parents are just the dumbest people on planet Earth that don't have the biggest clue. And then we get into our 30s and 40s, and maybe we have kids of our own. And we say things, and things come out of our mouth that and we say, that's not me, that's mom, or that's dad. And why is it? Because we become like those that we look up to. And if you belong to Jesus, and if he's the overseer of your life, guess what's going to happen? You're going to begin to look like him. And you're going to begin to talk like him. And you're going to begin to act like him. And by the way, Jesus himself said, Hey, listen, don't be surprised when you're acting and talking like me. People treat you like they treated me. And how did they treat you? You know, some people were glad to see Jesus. A lot of people weren't, though. And they ultimately uh, betrayed him and crucified him rejected him and so don't be surprised when the world does the same to you but here's the thing when Jesus is your overseer when he's your alpha and omega and you're living like him and you're acting like him and you're talking like him just as Jesus overcame and found victory you will as well and thankfully see some victories even here in life but the most important victory is not ours John reminds us in the book of Revelation, here from the beginning to the end, that the greatest prize is not about us. But rather, it reminds us lastly this morning that the church is Jesus' victory. The church, you and I, though we have victories here on earth and we'll have victory in heaven ultimately our victory is Jesus' victory and so Jesus is concerned about how we play as part of his team he wants us to do well because he wants to win and by the way we have the end of the book we know he does win and so Jesus stands and he said listen here I am looking over these church, uh, my people, the church. And he said, I have the keys to, to hell. And I've overcome death. And he said, you know what? My greatest reward are these seven golden lampstands. The church. The people of God. 
And ultimately, one day, even when this world thinks it has defeated God, and even when the church sometimes feels like it's been defeated, ultimately, the day will come when what's going to happen? Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to claim his church. And this old, sinful, fallen, messed up, horrible world is going to go away. It's going to cease to exist somehow the way that it does now. And John said that God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And in that new heaven and new earth, there's no need for the sun or the moon. There's no need for electricity because Jesus is the light. And there's no darkness, there's no sinfulness in that recreated world. And who will be there in that new heaven and new earth? God's people. From Adam and Eve, certainly sinful and fallen and broken, and all the people that came between them and all the people that will come until Jesus comes back again we'll be there in this new heaven and new earth and we'll find that there is this recreated and this brand new victory that death no longer has any dominion sin no longer has a place and what a wonderful, fantastic thing that will be. But have you stopped to think that God already has that? Up in heaven, it's perfect up there. There's no sin in heaven. There's no darkness there. And so Jesus really has that now. But that's not what he wants. He wants his people. He wants his church. He wants things to be the way that he intended in the time of creation, how things were originally. Remember that in Genesis it records that God looked at when he created things each day. And remember what he said? Man, this is good. When he looks at this fallen world, he shakes his head and says, well, this isn't so good, but it will be. Because I'll recreate, I'll make it new again. And so before we can get to that new heaven and new earth, we have to remember and understand that it is Jesus Christ who is the one that brings the victory. And the victory is Jesus and the victory of Jesus is his church, is his people that God has been working since the fall to bring back to him. And so we begin to see the unfolding of the rest of the story and the end of the story. And I hope God will help us and remind us that, hey, listen, when John received this, he was in exile. He was being persecuted for his faith and because of what he preached and for how he stood for 
price. And yet he understood that the battles that we fight in this life pale in comparison to the victory we have in the next. We also are reminded that, listen, battles may be lost here, but the war will be won by the Almighty. And so the book of Revelation is a reminder to the church that Jesus is victorious. Even when it seems like he's on the ropes, even when it seems like he's hopelessly behind, you know, in the fourth quarter, down by 28 points, he's going to come back and win every time. And so our faith and our trust and our life needs to be aligned with him. And that's the message of Revelation. That we need to look like Jesus. That we need to act like Jesus. We need to talk like Jesus. To a world that's doing everything it can to reject him and get rid of him. And I hope you see in this world, you know, more and more things are hostile towards the things of God. By the way, Jesus said that's the sign of the and time's coming. And preachers have been saying, you know, John thought it was at hand. He thought that meant it was going to happen then. Paul thought it was going to happen even earlier when he wrote the book of First uh, and Second Thessalonians. We've been preaching, but I can tell you one thing. The day of Jesus coming back is closer today than it was yesterday. And we can be assured that he's coming again because he said he was. And he always keeps his promises. And so we have to remember that it's faith in Christ that brings us victory. And I hope God will challenge us with that and remind us of that uh, today. So uh, Let's pray together. We'll be dismissed for Sunday school uh, stand together. Brother George, would you dismiss us in prayer uh, this morning, please?